and my feet begin to slip. God bless you. You can have your seats tonight. Tonight, I want to speak to the young people, and I want to take a little thought, and I want to title it, Living for the Hereafter. We live today for another world. We live today for another place, and I want to maybe put a little subtitle, Influenced by the Eternal. Influenced by the Eternal. Brother Branham would say, and I will make this statement at the start, and I'll set this as the frame, until you're fit for the hereafter, until you're fit for an eternal place, until you're fit for heaven, in your soul, you're not fit to live and really be used of God on earth. We have to get our souls right here, and then God can begin to use us here. Until we're ready for there, we're not truly being ready for here. But I want to invite you tonight. Tonight, you can get ready for there. And you can begin to live here for the hereafter. And you begin to get a focus. Brother Branham would say in the message, desperation. Desperation. Signs of his coming, and we see it everywhere we go. Just read the news in the last week. Signs of his coming should throw every member of Christ into desperation now about our souls, about our welfare for hereafter. What are we going to amount to if we gain the whole world? What are we, what are we living for? What do you work for? What are you eating for? What are you struggling for to live? What are you living for to die? And you're not fit to live until you're fit to die. It's something that Brother Branham would set out. I don't know if maybe this is maybe reverberating back, but it's something that is setting out that Brother Branham would set until you're fit to live, until you're fit to die, until you're fit to go to that next place, you can't serve God the way you ought to serve God here on earth. I don't want to make this thought too heavy tonight, but we know that there'll be two sides to everything. There's always two sides to a coin or to a topic or something. There's a balance. There's a positive and a negative, and it's the negative that makes the positive. So we'll look at both sides. But tonight, whether we realize it or not, young people tonight, every step that you take, every move that you make, every, every plan, every desire, every action is actually positioning yourself for one of two places, one of two hereafters. There's two hereafters that, the, that there would be a pull and an influence from that would draw you one going up and one going down. And every step, everything that we do on earth today is for the hereafter. And I'll say this, when we begin to recognize it, we can actually begin to overcome in a new level. Because we realize, why wouldn't I do that or why would I do that? Because I live for the hereafter. I don't live for this earth. I live for another earth. This is not my home there's another place. And I want to ask tonight, which world are you influenced by? Which place are you influenced by? The eternal? Or are you influenced by a place that lasts forever, but not a place that you want to be from? A place that pulls you down? Or are you influenced from an eternal place that pulls you higher? A place that would come up a little higher and come up a little farther? Brother Brandon would say, now since there has been man, there's been a hunger in man's heart to find out where he came from. That's the reason, what's his reason of being here? Where he's going as young people will begin to come to these questions, will begin to become aware of our surrounding or aware of the earth that we've been placed in, the family that we've been placed in, the message we've been born in, and what a blessing that is. But we have to accept it for ourselves. But we'll begin to come to these plots where we wonder, what's my purpose on earth? Why am I here? What does God have for me? These are questions that God has allowed for us. There's only one that can answer the questions that we have that would come 
And that's the one that brought you here. Man has always wanted to see God, Brother Brandon would say, and the mighty God unveiled before us. As young people on earth, we're raised up. We begin to find our way on the earth. We begin to walk and we begin to learn our personalities. We begin to learn our friends, what we like, what we don't like, our hobbies, our, 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 the direction we might like to go. We have a dream. I always wanted to be this when I grow up or I always wanted to be that when I grow up. We were raised to be good kids. We're raised to represent the family well, behave while you're out in public. We're raised to do these things and they're good. We're raised with a school education. Maybe it'd be in a school somewhere. Maybe it'd be homeschooled, whatever it would be. We begin to spend time with our peers, those that are around us. We want to drive. We want to get a job. We want to go to school. We have a path that's set before. There's many things that we strive for. There's success in life. There's good things that we have to do to take care of this life. But the most important thing, the main thing that we must recognize is everything that we're doing here. It's a temporary thing that's taking us down a path to an eternal place or a forever place. It's taking us down a path, a hereafter. And I'll say, there's a hereafter tonight I want to be in. By God's grace, I'll see you there. There's a hereafter that's so much more real than what we see on earth, than the pulls that we pull, the success and the things that pull on our attention and influence us. There's another place that will be worth it all. Brother Brandon would lay out that we have five senses, and we know that even by science, see, taste, feel, smell, hear. We even have memory. He laid it out better than any psychologist has ever figured it out. We have memory, imagination, conscience, affections, and reasons in our spirit realm. And those are the five spirit senses. We have five natural senses to see our way. But he would begin to lay out that these senses that contact our earthly home are not what is to guide our lives. We're to be guided by a sixth sense. The five senses of the body are good. They allow us to drive safely and do all the things. The five senses of the spirit are good. They allow us to remember and love and feel and imagine. But anytime they go against taking us away from the hereafter, from an eternal realm, from what the word of God has promised you, that you can be an overcomer, that you can be healed, that you can be delivered, that you can live that Christian life, Anytime those senses declare something else, we're supposed to go to a sense called faith. A sense that looks at the unseen, looking not at the things that are seen, looking not at the things, but it's the substance of things that are hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, the things that we don't see, taste, feel, smell, or hear. Now, we say that there's a hereafter. We say that there's a heaven, but how do we know that? We could say, well, I don't know if I believe that. How do you know that there's a hereafter? Brother Branham would say, because as a flower raises again, the tree raises again, the sun raises again, so shall the Christian raise again. It has to, because God in the expressed image of a human being or a human being in the expressed image of God proved it by his resurrection. It was something for him to say he would raise again or say that all these promises would happen, but when he proved it, When he went into the ground on one promise that he wouldn't see corruption, that his body wouldn't see corruption, when he went on the ground and he came back out, I have power to lay my life down, I have power to raise it up, it proves to us there's a resurrection for us as well. Many times people say that when a person dies prematurely or something that maybe it's some sin that they did, they did something wrong, 
Brother Branham says, no, that's not the case for a Christian. Sometimes the flower is plucked early. We saw in this great final expression, God making known his plan through Jesus Christ. He cried with a loud voice. When the lightnings flashed and the thunders roared, he said, I know my Redeemer liveth. In the last days, he'll stand upon the earth, as Job would say. And though the skin worms has destroyed my body, yet in my flesh I'll see God, whom I shall see for myself. Job saw that final expression many, many hundreds of years ahead. Being a prophet, he saw that vision coming. Brother Branham says, this is not the end. This is the beginning. It's the end of sorrow. This life will be, when we finish, when it's done, this will be the end of sorrow, but it's not the end. It's the beginning. It's the, it's the end of the time of decision. Today is the day of decision, but it's the beginning time of joy and reward. It's not the end of everything. It's just the end of mortal things to begin the immortal thing. And now we're influenced by two worlds. One that will begin to pull us up and one that begins to pull us down. We know that as we'd even close our rooms at night or we'd go to bed or we'd, we'd lock ourselves away or we'd go alone to school. We'd leave our parents. We'd go down that path. And we begin to have these influences that begin to pull us through the halls at school or the halls at work or wherever we would go. We know that influences begin to pull. And really, they begin to pull up or down. There's a darkness and a heaviness. There's depression. There's anxiety. There's all these things that can begin to pull at our minds and our lives. There can be verbal. There can be physical things. You could be bullied. You could have different things that come at you. Influences to distract. The devil is deadly with discouragement. But there's another side as well. When we come into the house of the Lord on a Sunday or a Wednesday, when we begin to turn on the prophet or, or open up our Bibles, I encourage you, this changes your life, young people. This is what changes your life. You feed on this day after day. It'll make you what you want to be. It'll make you what that inside desires to be. It's the only thing that satisfies your thirst. That influence also is strong and present. In Psalms chapter 73, perhaps we could just turn back to that. Asaph was David's chief musician, at least for the sake of preaching it in this story. He was, he, was, he, was a, he was a young man that maybe had been raised even as one of David's 400 men that had been with him in the wilderness or however many it was. He was maybe a young man that was a good young man and a strong young man. And he had a special gift in his life. Asaph was gifted in a special way because in order to be David's chief musician, I'll argue with you that he had to be pretty good. David was pretty good himself. So when David was picking his group of musicians, the Levitical leaders that would lead the music, and when he would pick the leader of them all, he'd have to have gifts of leadership, gifts of music, gifts of singing, a good songwriter. He would have had to have been pretty good at it. It had to have been probably a good life and good upstanding life and, and a good young man. This is the kind of man that Asaph was. But here he begins to write this song. Write this song. Truly God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, this young man that had served God, written songs, sung, and he had done all these things, he had begun to get discouraged and distracted, and he began to saw something that he couldn't reconcile. When I, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? For I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked... 
He didn't say, I saw the, the downfall. He said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I saw those that were around me that weren't living like the way my parents told me they should live. And they seemed to be always successful. It seemed that nothing went wrong for them. My parents told me if I did it, it would go wrong. But them, they could get away with it. There was no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. They're mean. They're violent. They can do all these things. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens. They think of, they speak against God. They speak against the God that we're taught to serve. And their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither. Waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. They do all these things, and yet it seems like they have a full cup. They have everything that they would desire and want. Asaph is trying to wrap his mind around what he's seeing. I've been taught to live right. I've served God. I've done all these things. How come they can do that and I can't? And he began to get envious at the wicked. His feet began to slip. He began to turn down that path and wonder, maybe even only in his mind. Maybe he kept showing up to Sunday worship in the Levitical order. Nothing changed. He sang and he was the worship leader. But in his mind, he began to turn. In his mind, his steps steps began to slip and point down a different direction. They say, the wicked, how doth God know? Because they've been getting away with it for so long. How doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, Asaph says, who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Then Asaph began to look at himself, and he began to get so discouraged. And he says in verse 13, Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued, chastened every morning. He says, I've done this all in vain. What am I doing? Every time I I try to live right, I'm just chastened and plagued, and I have trials, and this goes wrong, and that goes wrong. And here these people are doing all these other things, these evil things, and they just get away with it day after day, and they're just blessed. They just prosper and increase in riches and blessing and everything they want. Waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. I've washed my hands in in vain, or washed my hands in innocency. All day long I've been plagued. Then he says to himself, if I say this, if I, if I were to say this out loud, though, it's all in his mind. If I were to say this out loud, uh, if I were to say, I'll speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. He says, if I were to say it out loud, though, the generation of ch- God's children, they'd be offended by that. They couldn't, I can't say it out loud, but I see this, and I'm being impolled, and I, I can't understand what I'm supposed to do. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Here he is stuck in such a spot, being so influenced by a realm that's pulling his feet down a different path. He's influenced by temporal things. He sees the direction of the wicked, the pull of the wicked. He begins to just be so pulled down and down and down. And when he thought to know it, it was too painful for him. He couldn't, I think we've, I believe we can say we've been to these positions. We've been to the, I'm sure I've been there. I know I've been there at some level where you, you can't understand why this and why that. Do I have to live this? Do I? And you begin to wrestle it out in your mind. Which hereafter am I living for? We don't think that because if we think that enough, we'd choose the right. But we get so distracted and so pulled and so clouded over by the temporary, by the sin. 
When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. I understood what was hereafter. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, he says. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment they're utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. God may sleep and slumber seemingly for a while, but when he wakes up, you could say, the end is not what you want. The end is not what they even want, the wicked. Thus was I grieved in my heart. He began to realize what he had been so distracted by. He began to see their end. He began to realize, oh my. And I was desiring that. And I was pulled by that. And I was influenced by that. I was grieved in my heart. I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I. Ignorant. I was a beast as a beast before thee. And then he begins to repent. He begins to turn. He says, nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holded me with thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh, my heart faileth. Oh, I struggle. I have my battles. But God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For lo, that they that are far from thee shall perish. But thou thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring after thee. But it is good for me, and I'll say it is good for you, it's good for me, it's good for all of us to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I might declare all thy works. Oh, that, that young man Asaph, he began to see what the reality was. All those things that begin to pull him begin to drop off because he began to realize I'm living for a better hereafter. I'm living for a better place, an eternal reality. I don't think we can truly imagine what heaven will be like. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not declared. It hasn't entered in the hearts or the minds. It'll be a beautiful, wonderful place. There was another young man that we know very well. He was the rich young ruler. I wonder if we could, the PowerPoint that I have, maybe we could put up that second slide just to illustrate the, the story. He had a drive to succeed. He had a drive to be a good young man. He had a desire to do right. He had been raised right and well. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, he, he, when he was gone forth in the way, Jesus, there, there came one running and, and kneeled to him. He came running after Christ and kneeled to him. Sometimes we come to church, we, we, we desire God, we want God, but he asks something difficult of us. He asks for our heart. Uh, This young man asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This young man was a good young man. And he had been put in a spot of success. He had been made, perhaps you could call him a young entrepreneur or something. He was a rich, young ruler. He had learned all the tips and the tricks. He had learned everything. He had strived and striven after. How do I be successful in today's world? And he had achieved it in Israel's world. He had learned how to maybe have the favor of the rabbi and the favor of the businessman and and the favor of this person and that person and the woman there. And and he had been brought into this spot that he he was well-liked. He was established. He had had brought to a spot. Maybe his dad had taught him good business lessons. 
Maybe, maybe his mom had taught him the way, good manners, and all of those things. Perhaps he was performance-driven, you could say. He was driven to succeed because when he came to Jesus, he asked the question. He, he had realized that when I do good, I get a good result. When I do good, I get a good result. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'll say tonight, there is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. It's something you accept. He did it already. There's no good work or good deed that'll satisfy. It's already been satisfied. If you give him your heart. That's the trade. That's the question. That's the thing. But he asks, what can I do? What can I do to inherit eternal life? Like it was some inheritance or some final task to achieve. Or he had achieved every other earthly success. This is what I must inherit. He came at it the wrong way. Perhaps in his young years, he, he was really applied in school. Perhaps he, he pushed himself. Perhaps he dedicated himself for a direction. Perhaps he had, had walked in a way that was good. He, he said to Jesus, to, to, to God, he said, all of these commandments, Jesus would ask, keep the commandments. He said, I've kept all of these from my youth. What a statement to make. He, Jesus would say, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And think of what he was able to say to Christ. He said, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. I can't say that. We can't say that. But he could say that to Jesus. He could say, all of these have I observed from my youth. But all of that doing wasn't enough. And that should give us courage. That shouldn't be something to say, well, I can't even do that. No, it's by grace you're saved. We don't have to do all those things we do, but when Christ comes inside, he does it. We cannot overcome. I'll say this to young people. I, I know what it is to be raised as a young person in the message. I know what the cycles are like. I know what the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, coming to church with a smile, but you're not living what you ought to live. I know what that is, and I know what it is when Christ comes into your heart, sets you on another path. He cleans you out from the inside out. He makes you real. It's not by might or power. Oh, you can try it. You'll be miserable. But come and just die out to him. He comes and takes your life. Jesus looked at this young man, and he's beholding him. He loved him. And he said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast. Give unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Amen. Come, take up thy cross, and follow me. Amen. And the rich young man was sad at that saying. He went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He was well-dressed. He had all the things. Jesus was not asking for his money. Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't need you to go and be successful and get the best job that you can get. He doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. Amen. Jesus can give you a good job. He can take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. But give your heart to God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All of these other things will be added unto you. He didn't need his money. He was asking for the one thing that was, he was holding back in his heart. Right, that's it. Yep. 
He was asking, he said, just surrender to me. You know, when Abraham was led down a path up a mountain, Mount Moriah, to sacrifice his son Isaac, he was willing to do it. God didn't make him do it in the end. Perhaps the rich young man could have kept his money if he had been willing to give it up. Now, maybe God wants you to give up something, and he might make you give it up. But be willing. Let it go. You will be filled and blessed with things beyond anything you can imagine. The trades that we make on this earth, the, the, the temporal trades that we make on this earth, oh, I want to do this, and I desire to do that, and I want this sin or this something, the trades that we make on this earth will be so worth it on the other side. There will be no regrets for a 12-year-old raptured in heaven. There will be young people in a rapture. There will be young people. There will be 12-year-olds. There will be 10-year-olds that will have lived to what they were supposed to live. And not a single one will have thought they missed out. There will be no regrets on the other side. Think of a young man named Moses and compare him to the rich young ruler. Moses was raised in the king's court. The best of the food, the best of the wine. He had all, there was women, there was, you listen to Brother Branham describe what he had. He had power, military might, the political connections of the day. And he was a young man, trained well and trained in their wisdom. A much bigger trade than the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had a certain amount of wealth in a little nation called Israel. He was a, a rich young ruler by Israel's standards. He had, he had had all these things in this little backward nation called Israel. He had to follow Levitical laws and orders and priesthood. He had a life of holiness he had to live. Moses, almost leader of the free world. He didn't have to live with the morals of the day. He didn't have Levitical laws to uphold. He did whatever. He was a man, and he had no laws. He was the, he was the law almost. He had it all in front of him. Who made the greater choice? Who had a bigger trade to make? The rich young ruler had just a little bit to give up. Moses had everything. He had the whole world. He was, he was Joe Biden's son or something. He was, he was, he was just in line, I know. He, he was just in line to everything. He was almost the ruler of everything. And he traded it all for some little backwards people that, that were slaves and the off-scouring and the slaves of the nation, the people that were the, 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 the Jews. But he said, I'm one of them. I'm living for another place. Every choice we make on earth today is setting us up for the hereafter. The rich young ruler didn't realize that. He didn't recognize that that opportunity, that that thing that was presented in front of him, that choice he made, and later would despise Lazarus and wake up and realize that one was in heaven and he, he wasn't. There was a great chasm. He didn't realize. Oh, if he would have realized what was presented in front of him, what would he have done? Brother Branham would say, what you are in now, he would speak the message, come follow me. It was a graduation message to a group of young people. He said, what you are in now, you young people, is what you will probably be the rest of your life. 
And he was talking about that age of maybe 18 to 21. So maybe you're not quite there yet. But you're, in a ch- you're on a changing spot, or maybe 21 exactly, or 18 graduating age, whatever it would be. Did you know that 86% of the conversions to Jesus Christ is done before 21 years old? It shows it. Statistics show it. 86% that come to Christ come before 21. After you pass that age, you become more molded and set in your ways. Oh, it's possible. It's possible, sure. They come 70, 80 years old, but it's very rare, he said. You make yourself when you're young. You set your ambitions to what you want to do, what kind of young man or young girl you want to be. You set your ambitions now. Even every service, every, every day, what you feed on, the internet, all these things. You're setting yourself on a path to what kind of person you're going to be. You think of it. You, you, of course, your mind is presented into your mind by an unknown something that dominates your mind. And then when it becomes in your mind, then you speak it, and then you're going to do it. Then your ambitions drive you to it. I think we know that. We can see what we were set when we were young, and we see it beginning to come to pass. What we set our ambitions to. Choose Christ. Amen. Choose life. Amen. Set yourself on a path where you won't regret wasted years. Amen. If you're Christ, you'll come to him. But set yourself on a path. Brother Brandon would talk about, I think, being five years old and being pulled to, to Christ, or maybe 12, or something young, younger than what he was when he, he said, but an evil spirit kept him from it. A darkness kept him from it. I remember being five years old myself, feeling the pull to be baptized, and I wasn't. I was five, but I remember it. And I didn't. I didn't do it then. I, I did it a little later. But that pull, when it's there, respond. Amen. Learn to be one of those people that as soon as God calls, yeah. I respond. Yeah. Don't fight God. Yeah. Oh, it's a painful path. Don't fight God, but let your heart open. Brother Branham would say, you know what I think? Everyone has their own opinion. But one of the greatest, and to my opinion, he says, the greatest president we've ever had in this nation, I stand in America tonight, was Abraham Lincoln. Not because he was a Republican, but because he was a godly man. He was raised to serve God. And he said, if there is anything I want to give praise to, or my, he said, or my life was influenced by, was a godly mother who taught me to pray and to know Jesus as my Savior. What a statement for a man that led the free world to say. Oh, your family is what you are. You raise your children. Parents in a certain environment has got a 98% better chance to go the right way than it has if you bring them up in the wrong way. Bring up a child in the way it shall go. When it's old, it will not depart from it. Be right. Be brought up right. Teach your children to do right. Be honest. Be square and fair, even when they're in school. He began to lay out an example that I think is good. Many times children are prone to copy off one off another. Try to press their way through school, but, you know, I think if you'll just get it yourself, there's something you can appreciate, a good graded paper, he says. You know, if, if you're going to have a te- test the next day, this is the prophet giving school advice. If you're going to have a test the next day, instead of running around all night and getting up in the next morning and think, well, I'll just sit next to so-and-so, they're smart and I'll copy off of them. If you'll just, before dad returns thanks at the breakfast table, or if, you're, if you'll just say, dad, remember me, I have a test in chemistry. You know, if we come to, if we put God first, even in our school, we come to church, study, but come to church. You don't need to stay away from church to study. I I don't believe you. There might be one moment where for a really big test, but come to church. God will help you with your test. 
You don't think he holds the whole world in his hand? He can give you the answers. Put God first in everything. He can come. If you'll, Dad, if you'll remember to me, I've got a test in chemistry or whatever it is. Then when you pray, Dad say, God bless John or Mary in their test today. I tell you, Brother Branham says, it'll turn the tide. It'll give you the answers. It, it'll, it'll help you. You've got to put in your work through the year, too. Don't just show up and pray, but, but put in your part. Put in your, pray if you haven't done anything. Pray. But realize you might only get that C or something that you... God can help you get the C. He can help you pass. <laughs> Remember, we can have what we want if we ask in faith. Believing. Jesus said all things are possible to them that are believed. He cares about your schoolwork. He cares about your grades. He cares about getting you through the day. He cares about those that would pick on you and pull you this way or that way. Say all these things, the social media, whatever it would be. He cares. He knows what it's like to be talked about. The most talked about, cursed, people say his name in vain all day today. He knows what it's like. He understands. He knows what it's like. But blessed are they that are persecuted and reviled for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Brother Branham says, our teaching right. Say the right thing. Do the right thing. Think the right thing. Always be thinking right. I have a little slogan. Do right. That's your duty to God. Think right. That's your duty to yourself. And you're bound to come out right. Hallelujah. Young people are in a changing spot of life. It's a changing spot. It's a spot where you begin to set your directions and your affections. If... And where you'll go to school? Are you going to go to college or university? Are you going to go right to work and find a place to put your hand to? What am I going to do with my life? Who will you marry? May God lead you to the right one. Wait to find the right one. Look for what God's leadership is. What will your job be? God cares about your job. He can give you a job you like. Enough. You still have to work by the sweat of your brow, and it's a curse. But he can give you something you like enough, at least. He can give you something that will provide. You'll begin to try to figure out what your hobbies are, your friends are, your dreams are. But don't forget the main thing. The main thing. That we're not here living for this earth. There's another life beyond this one. We live today for the hereafter. I, oh, that so helps me. When, I, when, when you begin to struggle or you begin to have your, your, something pulling on you or something, you're like, no, I don't live for today. Amen. Right. I, I don't live for today. I live for the hereafter. Amen. I live for another place. How, how did Moses do it? How did he make his choice? You could ask, how, how could Moses look at everything that was laid in front of him, all the opportunity, everything that would satisfy his flesh, how could he trade it to go and be a slave? What did he focus on? Brother Branham says, Moses seen the victory. The message, look, why he had focused himself. Though being a prince, though heir to the throne of Egypt, he focused himself away from the lust of the world. He focused himself away from the beauty and power that he had within his own potentials to reach. He focused that out until he seen a blessed people yonder, blessed by the promise of God. They didn't look blessed. Sometimes we don't look blessed, we don't feel blessed, but we're blessed above all men, above anything the White House has, beyond anything that any government or any power or money or wealth, by any popular kid in school, that the, the, the kid on the football team or something, we're blessed beyond everything. 
This age will be 10 times harder, Brother Branham says, for the young people than your parents' generation. But that means God's got a power that's 10 times, and I'll say 11, 12, 13 times more strong because he's more than enough for you no matter what you face. This is the quote that gave me this thought some many months ago. If we could turn to the next slide. This is the quote. I was just walking or kind of, I think, in listening, and it just jumped out at me later, this one line. I don't know if we can read it. I guess we can't. But I'll read it to you. Maybe you can. I guess you have good eyes. And the natural eye, third Exodus, and the natural eye today sees a glamorous church, a fellowship with the mayor of the city or, or what more, in these denominations, organizations, and they fail to see the power of the Holy Spirit. When it can raise the dead, heal the sick, oh, they look, they watch Hollywood, they watch the people on the street. And he says this, the women today think, well, this woman, she, they're influenced. This woman, Susie, she, be, she belongs to the church. She's got her hair bobbed, which means cut. She, I always wondered what that meant. <laughs> Brother Brandon would say, I didn't know what it meant. But she's got her hair cut. She wears makeup. Everybody in town likes her. And Brother Branham asks a sad question. He says, I wonder about heaven. Everyone in town likes her. Does heaven like her? Heaven loves her, but does heaven like what she does? I wonder about heaven. Oh, I want to be loved by heaven tonight. See, when it's contrary to the word, God can't endorse it. He would be endorsing against himself. He'd been denying his own word. And be it known, God will never do that. Though heavens and earth will pass away. A bobbed-haired woman is a curse in the sight of God. Or a woman that will put on a garment that pertains to a man. Then he says this, the spiritual eye catches it. They live for hereafter. Although though the world likes Susie or the world likes Bobby or whatever, I hope no one's named that. Though the world loves that person that does that, but does heaven. The spiritual eye, we catch it. You realize we don't live for today. We live for hereafter. Oh, the natural mind lives to the carnal things of the day. But the spiritual mind. By faith Moses, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why? Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. What we value, how we live every day, will show what value we put on which hereafter. Brother Branham, maybe I I have the quote right here. No, Moses went to become one of them. He endured as seeing him who was invisible. He didn't walk by sight. He walked by faith, the unseen. And notice when it was weighed in the balance to a man, and he says, none of you had that opportunity tonight that Moses had. But if you did, what choice would you make? What if you were given that opportunity? Where would your heart lead you? What choice would you make? Truly, what choice would you make? And I'll say what choice you'd make there is what choice you're making now. What choice are we making now with the revealed word that we've been given? There was the best the world could give. Here was the worst religion could give. Yet the worst that religion could give, the worst that religion could give, outweighed the best that the world could give. 
Oh, so it is tonight to any man or woman, any boy or girl, that'll forsake the things of the natural eye, the carnal mind, and receive Christ into their heart. It'll outweigh anything the world can give. For what can outweigh eternal life? I'll ask, what can outweigh living eternally? That eternal something that'll, the only thing that'll satisfy, listen to the message, thirst. There's that something, a holy thirst that is put in every heart, every life. There's something that we try to satisfy with our friends or, or a video game or, or, or something, some social media or YouTube or something that would pull our attention. It can be okay, maybe at a level. But when we try to make it our, our comfort and our life and, and everything, we try to satisfy that holy thirst. Oh, my, what a poor substitute. Brother Branham would say, and I don't have the quote, but I can get it for you. He would say, your comfort is your religion. Direct quote. Your comfort, what you seek for comfort, what you draw for comfort, that becomes your religion. Oh, God, may my religion be Christ. May my peace be Christ. Oh, there's things to do. We have to relax. We, there's things that are human. We have to take care of our humanity sometimes. But that something, that holy thirst, don't ever silence that with the things of the world. What can outweigh eternal life? Nothing can outweigh eternal life. I'm going to change gears and, and we'll begin to move a little bit more. Is this okay? I'll take maybe, a, we've talked a little bit about the rich young ruler and Moses, and I'll talk a little bit about my life, if that's okay for a moment. I was, I was in school. I went to a, a college or a, a polytechnic or whatever. It was Nate, you know, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, kind of like BCIT or whatever it would be. And, and when I was in school, I, I had to go to a conference. I went to a conference for a week or part of a, part of a week or whatever it exactly was during the week, and I had to go out to Whistler, B.C. How many knows where that is? Yeah. It's a beautiful place, wonderful place. I, it's, it's gorgeous. I, I would go there again. But for this conference, I kind of maybe didn't realize in the moment, but some of this was maybe after or maybe in the moment. But it was maybe the first time, really, that I left the city. And maybe there are other moments, but this was a little different. I left the city. I was away from my parents. It's probably the first time. I was away from any believer. I was in the middle of nowhere. No one knew what I was doing. No one knew anything. I was, the bubble we were raised in, we're raised in a little bubble sometimes, and sometimes we can make the walls thick or thin, but we're still in this message bubble. We're raised in a certain way, and, and what, what as parents, I'm not a parent, so don't, I, this is just my thought on it, but you raise your kids, and in the middle of the bubble, you want them to get the Holy Ghost before the bubble pops. Because one day the bubble has to pop, and they have to face the world. One day you'll face the world with no support, no nothing. And what's on inside will be the direction you'll go. And we need the Holy Ghost. One day the the walls are gone, all the supports, and you have to stand on your own and say, what choice am I going to make? Will I live for today? Will I live for hereafter? And I want to say this just as a a statement. If you choose the wrong one day, young person, there's still grace. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. The devil will tell you it's over. It's not. But I encourage you to make the right choice the first time. But I was, in, I was in Whistler for a conference. I was away from it all. We were gone. And, and at this conference, if you've ever been to Whistler and you've kind of understood a little bit more about what Whistler is about, it's a party city. It's a party town. There's, it's full of folks from other places, and they, 
I'll be blunt. They drink, they party, they do all of the things of the world. And it began to pull in my mind. It began to draw me. It began to take me down, and you're, you're there, and you see this, or you see that, and it begins to, and you begin to see, okay, this is what that, or this. you begin to see things I had never saw quite like that in the bubble and in the way that I'd been raised. And I did see that. It was very empty. I didn't drink. I didn't do those things. But, but I begin to be pulled in my mind. It began to be a battle. And by God's grace, there was a service that was preached. I think Brother Jason Rabbis had taken a young people service, one of the combined youth meetings in Edmonton. And he began to ask a question in that service. I think he titled it, And Then What? I think that was the title of the service. And Then What? And he, would, he says, when you get into these situations where you're pulled by the world, or you're, ask yourself this, and then what? So I do this, and then what? Okay, then this will happen. Then I'll do this, and then what? And then this will happen. And you begin to think, what are the consequences for my actions? What will happen yeah, that's next? Good, that's good. Yeah. And there was pulls and temptation. You're, there's alcohol. There's... And it began to pull. I remember going for a walk through the town late that night, and your mind is just kind of running. I got back to the hotel, and... And at some point in it all, and it kind of crystallized maybe the week or two later, what I had went through. But I began to think, and then what? Okay, so I drink. And then what? Well, I'll feel pretty bad. I, I play the bass guitar in church. I won't be able to feel very good about doing that on Sunday. And, and, and then what? Well, I mean, I'm going to have to make it right eventually. I'll have to tell my parents what I did. And then what? And, and, and I realized, if I already know that I'm going to have to go make it right, and that Satan was telling me, take a break. Just take a break from it all. Take a break from being a Christian. That's what he telling me. Just take a break. What a lie. He's just telling me that. But I begin to think, well, if I, ha- if I do that, then, 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 I'll, then I'll, but I'll have to make it right. And I'll say this. If you know you're going to have to make it right, your desire is already right in the first place. Why do it in the first place? Why go down that path? And I realized the desire I had, it was setting me free from the temptation. Jacob had a desire to, to have a birthright, and it began to lead him to a birthright. Yeah. He, he, I realized, if I'm going to make it right anyway, if I really don't want to do it anyway, why do it at all? Yeah, and I begin to pull out of it. I begin to pull out of it. Oh, there were still pulls, but, but God pulled me through it. Amen. If we realize, oh, we don't live for today. Amen. I don't even want that. Why, what, what, what attraction is that? I begin to watch people. I'll just be blunt. You watch someone that has alcohol in their system, look yeah. at their eyes. They're not happy. Yeah, Tell me that they're happy. And then I went back and I saw some of our young people. I was out at my uncle's. I saw young people with happy eyes and a good life. Yeah. Realize that's life. Yeah. Not those drunk people. But this is life. Yeah. This is the truth. This is the only peace and freedom. Choose life. And then what? And then what? As I begin to, I hope this is still okay, as I, as I begin to go through school, I, I got involved with the, the student association there. And, I, and as it, I became one of the student representatives on the campus. Just God had opened the doors. And, but it's an interesting spot to be. There's pressures there. When you're standing as a representative for one of the students, for the student body. And one of the challenges, the things that I begin to worry about quite a bit, was what happens when they have their yearly pride parade. This is the parade that they go through the school. I don't know what it's like in America, but they sure do it in Canada. 
they walk through the school and they celebrate the LGBT whatever and they, they do their thing and they celebrate it with my position and role that I was in at the time, I would have been pretty much expected to be at the front of that thing. That would have been the expectation. And so I, what do you do? It's, it's not, it's sometimes, for some people, it's maybe easy. Oh, I'm not going to do it. But sometimes it's not as easy to go. I'm not very confrontational. And I was wrestling with it. And, and I told some of the people that were close that I wouldn't be in that. And, but there came a day that it was kind of, maybe it was getting a little, little bit closer or whatever, that parade coming up. And so I went into the office of the executive director of that organization. And his name was Chris. And God bless him for what he did that day. I, I sat down. I said, oh, Chris, I have a conversation. He said, oh, sure, come on in. And I, don't think, I think he was expecting a happy conversation. And I think he was maybe a bit more of a progressive man. And, but I had a conversation with him. I said, you know, I, I, I can't walk in that parade. I can't do that. I, I won't do that. I can't do that. And you know what he told me? He says, okay, well, you know, I understand that you as a person, and I'm paraphrasing maybe how I remember it, you as a person of religion, well, you don't live for these four walls here. You're, you're living for another place, and, and that's okay. My Talk about some little bit of revelation he might have had. He understood, we don't live for this four walls. We don't live for this world. How, what, how can I make that choice? I don't have to live with what's popular today. I'll be popular tomorrow. We'll be rulers and kings and priests. You want to talk about the highest ranking positions in government one day we'll have. We'll be rulers sitting in his throne as the bride of Jesus Christ. Today we might not have the most popular way or the most blessed way seemingly by today's standards. But there's coming a day. Make the right trades now. Make the right trades now. It was amazing. God so took that parade that I had to stand in. He, he booked it. or I booked it so I had to be a part of these particular meetings with this role that I was in. And I had to be off campus on that same day at that same time as that prayed. So I didn't even have to. God just brought me out of the situation and brought me right around. I, I didn't even have to deal with it a whole lot more than that. He just brought me off campus because I had to be somewhere else. And he just knew how to bring it, not make it a scene. But I mean, you could make a scene, but God leads you in what you have to do. But God was gracious. We live for the hereafter. If you're ashamed here, God will be ashamed there. Oh, and I think we've all, I've been ashamed. We've all been ashamed. God help us. God help me. Help me to have more boldness. God help me. I, I don't do that so well all the time. But God help me. Brother Branham would, or Jesus would say in Mark 8, 34, when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. For what shall it profit man if he shall gain the whole world? Is it okay if I go for just a few more minutes? But John, I'm not convinced that this is the truth, you might say. I've seen so much of this. I've seen so much of that. I don't know if this is really the truth. I'm getting so pulled. This looks so attractive. This is so... Let me ask you this. If this isn't the truth, why does the devil fight it so much? If this isn't the truth, why does he fight you so hard about this? He doesn't fight you hard to keep you from success. He doesn't fight you so hard to keep you from your ambitions and your drives and your passions and your hobbies. Why does he fight this? Could it be? Could it be that this is the only thing worth living for? 
The only thing worth dying for. Could it be that this is the one cause that we ought to, to live and die by? There's so many causes of the world, but this, this is the only one that matters. I, we don't want to live for our job or our vacation or the weekend. We, we don't want to live just for a healthy retirement. Sometimes too much energy can be spent there. It's good, but we live for another place. This is quite the quote from Oneness. Satan will make you all kinds of promises, but he has nothing to give you. Because he don't have nothing. He don't have salvation. What is Satan? Anything contrary to the word. He doesn't have salvation. He doesn't have light. His kingdom is darkness and the end thereof is death. Death and darkness is Satan's kingdom. Brother Branham, he says, repeat it again. What is Satan's kingdom? Anything contrary to the word. What influence are we under? Influenced by the eternal. This rich young man, when he come down, or young ruler that we talked about, Brother Branham says, all religious, belong to the church and everything, fine, educated, a fine businessman and everything. When he come to the end of the road, he begin to scream. When he begin to get to the end of the road, he begin to scream, there's nowhere to step. He stepped over the edge and he realized there was nothing after that. He thought he was stepping up, but there was nothing to step. Where is his leadership? He had been led by his church, which is dead. I'm so glad we don't have a dead church today. He had been led by the dead world. There wasn't nothing for him to step out into, but what the world had prepared for it. His hereafter was hell. But here comes Moses, Brother Branham says. A faithful servant who esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Then all the riches of Egypt. He had come to the end of the road. An old man, 120 years old, walked up the mountain. He knew that death laid before him. He looked over into the promised land. He looked, laying there by his side, was the leader, that rock. He had stepped out upon that rock, and the angels of God packed him away into glory. The glory of God into the bosom of God. Why, 800 years later, he was still being led by his leader. We find him over on Mount Transfiguration, standing there with Elijah, talking to Jesus before he went to the cross. 800 years after his death. The one that he esteemed. What a day that must have been. The one that he esteemed. The reproach of his ministry, greater treasure than all the popularity, all the riches, all the things of the world. His leader was still leading him. Oh my, he was led. His leader led him through the death, through the shadows of death. He was led to the grave. Hundreds of years later, he stood there because at his youth, he had chosen the leadership of the Holy Spirit. His name will be great when there is no more Egypt or treasures. When the pyramids are dust, when Egypt is no more Egypt, Moses will be immortal among men because he accepted the leadership of Christ instead of going the way. There's others that did the same. Look at Enoch. He walked with God for 500 years and had a testimony that he pleased God. God verified it, said there's no need of dying. I think of Mary, a young woman, maybe 16 years old, full of life, the life of Christ. Pregnated with the life of Jesus Christ inside of her. The people called her crazy. People might call you sister crazy because of the way you dress. That You're visibly showing that there's the life of Christ here. You show it. There's no way of hiding it. Eventually, Mary couldn't hide baby Jesus. It was there. It manifested. It was, she was growing. She was pregnant with the life of Christ. 
They may call you self-righteous. They may call you a devil. It doesn't matter. Remember the story of the country cousin. It didn't matter that all the girls were laughing at her. The boss's son from Chicago wasn't coming for them. He was coming for her. And she was living for that time a year from now. She was living every day for that next year for another time when he was coming to take her home. She was living for another time. Mary, full of the life of Christ, living for that birth when she would come. I'm going to close with this story. It's Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. We know that Isaiah was, was a young man that was influenced by a good man. We've talked about the rich young ruler influenced, influenced by success and things. and Asaph, influenced by the ungodly and the wicked. But Isaiah was influenced by a good king that went wrong in the end. Isaiah began to be raised up. He was a young prophet. He was a young man. It's amazing. At the end of, uh, at the end of Isaiah's life, he was sawed to death, whether the Bible would say, I think, or history would say. But he gave his life for God in such a way he was sawed to death. But as a young man, he began to set his life for good. And he had a good friend named Uzziah, who was the king of Israel at the time. And Uzziah had, had, a, had a, a father that had been good, and a mother had been good, but his father kind of went off at the end. But, but Uzziah began to set out on a good path. And this young man, Isaiah, was following along friends with Uzziah. Sometimes we have good friends. You can't just look to your friend for salvation. It doesn't matter if the pastor goes or the, your mom goes or your we need to serve Christ for ourselves. That it won't matter what happens. It won't matter if that man that we look to, that woman we look to, severely disappoints us. Let me say, young people, you, you'll, you'll grow up in church, and you'll go church long enough to realize there can be moments that are disappointing in church. The way this happened, the way that happened, what they said, what this happened. But on the other side, it'll all be made right. We'll all sit together at one big table. All of the disappointments, all the he said, she said, all the things. Sometimes our humanity just gets in the way. But that's still your brother and sister. Let's never get an attitude one way or this way or I'm bigger or there. Did you know that we have an attitude that we ought to have? I hope, I'm just going off for a moment. In the, in the Bible, in, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it would lay out that God, God would say that I, I, I take no pleasure in the death of a soul. I can find these scriptures if you're interested, but God would say, I take no pleasure in the death of a sinner. God has righteous things that are righteous and good, but he has, at some, time, at some point, there's a line crossed, and he has to meet judgment, because he said he would, but he takes no pleasure in it. He has no joy in it. So we ought to have the same attitude. If something goes wrong, something goes sideways, this person, I knew they were wrong the whole time, and they went off at the end, no pleasure in it. That was the death of a soul. God takes no pleasure in it. What our attitude ought to be. God died for the whole world. For God so loved the whole entire world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish. Whosoever should believe in him. The worst to the best. To the almost best. To whatever. God has such a heart and a desire for people on this earth. We ought to have the same desire. What desire do we have for our brothers and sisters? I could keep, I could get distracted. I hope it's okay. But in, in, in the stature of a perfect man, this is maybe now not young people's now, but there was the Laodicean age. And that was tied to a virtue. And that virtue wasn't love. It was brotherly kindness. 
So when we have a patience test, we have to go through a patience thing where you have to wait for a while. So what happens to get brotherly kindness? Brotherly kindness test. Where iron sharpens iron. This is not brotherly kindness with our church, with the world. This is within our church. This is with, with the people. This is something that the honey that keeps the love, the Holy Spirit in, it keeps the church together. Listen, listen to the message, blasphemous names. When, when, when the Holy Spirit comes in, it needs something to stick and stay, that honey. Brother Branham said it was brotherly kindness. When that comes in, oh, it keeps the church together. It keeps us all in love and in fellowship. How do we go through things? We're going to go through things that we look at. Young people, you'll go through things. You'll say, I can't believe this. I can't believe that. Oh, but when we go a little higher, when we go a little higher and realize, that's my brother and I love him anyhow. And that's my sister and I love him anyhow. And I'll draw the circle and we'll, we'll go forward. Oh, don't let those things pull us back. God is in control. He is always and still and forever will be on the throne. But as Isaiah began to get disappointed, he began to see that Uzziah, what had happened was Uzziah had gotten so full of himself, so self-righteous. This king got to a place being such a great man, influencing Isaiah and the righteous, of course. He got to a place, Uzziah would have been a good young king and had torn down the idols maybe and done all these things that were good and righteous for Israel. He got to a place that he felt self-secure. Brother Brown says, that's where you make your mistake. For Christians here tonight, we go to a spot where we've had such a good track record. Oh, I've been going good for months or for years. That's where so many righteous men bite the dust of shame, bite the dust of defeat, is because they begin to feel self-secure. You begin to think you've lived so long for Christ that no matter what he presents before you, you'll take your choice whether you want it or not. Oh, you've got to continue to serve God. No matter what you was back 10 years ago, it's what you are now. We can't just feed on an experience of 10 years ago, but tonight we can be a Christian again tonight. We've got, and Uzziah began to get lifted up. He had been the king, but he wanted to become a minister. He wanted to take the role of a Levite. He entered the temple. He began to burn the incense. The ministers all came. They tried to stop it. They said, no, you've been a good king, but, but this is not your role. This is out of your place. They tried to stop him. He went for it anyway. God struck him with leprosy, and he died. And Isaiah watched this, a young man, influenced. That was his friend. That was, that, was, that was the one he looked to. That was maybe a little older than him, and he'd went to with advice, good advice. He had gotten it. And now so severely disappointed, this man, leprosy is a type of sin. This, this young king had been caught in sin and died spiritually. He died. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the story begin to unfold. We see that I have to find it myself now. thought I had it. Isaiah chapter 6, we, we see that in the year that Uzziah had died. I don't know if I can find it so fast, but we will in a moment. We'll wind down with this story. We'll close. In the year that King Uzziah died... He began to go to the temple of the Lord and he began to seek God. What do I do? And that's a good thing to do. When we don't know the answer, go to God. Give God a little bit of time to answer the questions, to calm the doubts and fears. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. 
He began to enter the presence of God and see the glory of God. And it stood above the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And, and, and they cried one to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they didn't just say it quietly. They didn't just, they didn't just praise God, holy. And Brother Brandon would even say on the table, holy, holy, holy. He says, the, the posts of the door, this is in heaven, the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. This was the holiness of God on display. The king of kings, the creator of all of heaven. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. They begin to see another part of God, another aspect. And they cried, holy, holy, holy. And another aspect of God was unveiled. And they cried, holy, holy. And Isaiah, that young prophet, who had been through such a church moment and disappointment, and he had saw his king go down in shame, and he began to see God. He had had his eyes on a man, but he began to see God. He had his eyes on a friend or, or his parent or something that had disappointed him. But he began to see God for who he was. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And this is tonight. Uh, what I'll offer you tonight as young people. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. We could say tonight, I, I, I haven't quite lived the way I want to live. I, I've been pulled by this desire. I've been pulled by that. I've looked to this influence or that influence. Tonight I offer you something. Christ offers you something to say, choose life. Choose a life of the hereafter that will give you satisfaction. No, it won't be the easiest life, but one of these days, it'll be worth it all. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he offers it to us tonight. He laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. And thine iniquity is taken away. Thy sin is purged. Isaiah went with this approach that he said, woe is me. I'm wrong. I don't want to live the way I was living. I'm, I'm unclean. The people around me are unclean. I've seen the glory of God. And that seraphim began to come and respond to that. Touched his lips. Took a coal off the altar. Touched his lips. Took away his iniquity. His sin was purged. And then he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I'll say tonight, Who will go for the Lord as a young person in the strength of youth that will take this message? There has to be a, a carrying on of the message all the way to a rapture if it's 20 years from now, if it's a month from now. There has to be a youth. There has to be someone that will take the message to school. There has to be a witness to the message, a billboard that we have in, in Whatcom County. There has to be a living billboard that will proclaim the message and live it out holy and pure to the best that you can live it. Who will I send to go before me? And Isaiah said the right thing. Moses said the right thing. The rich young ruler said the wrong thing. Asaph got, got a little distracted, but he could begin to say the right thing. Isaiah began to respond as, as, as he heard that voice of the Lord from the throne come and say, who will I send? Who will go before me? And he said, here am I. Send me. Oh, I can imagine. He might, he might have started quiet. He might have started realizing they're calling for someone. I don't see anyone else around, but, but maybe God's calling me. Maybe I'm the one that God's calling. Maybe he started saying, here am I. Send me. Oh, send me forward. 
Let me be anointed with a coal off the altar. Let me be a young person. Maybe I don't understand this or that, or maybe this seems like when they talk about thunders and vials and things, that. but there's something that can drop in your heart tonight. You don't have to understand it all. You just have to believe it. You just have to take it by faith. You're saved, not of works, but by faith you accept it and say, this is the truth. This is the life. This is what I want to live. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Where is your treasure anyhow? Is it in your church, your business, or is it in heaven? For wheresoever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If the musicians would begin to come, why not make an investment tonight? Why not make a deposit in this bank account or in this place of success, in this college of learning, in this place where you can get real peace, this fountain of living water? Come and make an investment tonight in this. Let's think of it. He, we'll leave that one. We'll just, maybe you can play, I give myself away. Tonight, as we'd come, we just maybe sing and close the service, but I, I, I don't know, maybe you always had a close, but, but you've been great to preach to tonight. Eh? But may God come. We don't live for today. Let our influence, let's make a, a purposed influence. A purpose choice to say, this is where I receive my influence from. We have to live. There's a balance to things. Yeah, we have to live. We have to go to school or go a job. We have to, we have to take care of our bills, and we have to go to school and get our grades and obey our parents, and we have to do these things. But the main thing. There was a story of a young boy. He was out in, the, I think, in Rome or somewhere, Brother Brandon would preach. He was across the sea, and it was a place that they didn't live right. There was a lot of Americans. He was an American boy, and Brother Brandon would tell him. And he would live across the way. And, but there, there was a lot of people that called themselves Christians, but they didn't live right. They didn't live like it. They partied, and they did all the things of the world. But, but there was this one young man that just had kept himself. He just closed himself in. He had just been just something holy and something upright. And there was this old man, and it, I have in my mind it was in Rome, so this old man that had come and, he was a teacher in the school or something, a sage or something, and he'd come to him and he says, he was in school, this young man, in school to be an, an artist, I believe, in art school. Yeah. And, and the, the old man come and said, I've been watching you. He says, yeah, okay. He says, you're in school? and Yeah, you're in school to be an artist. Yeah, I'm in school to be an artist. But I have a question for you. He says, are you a Christian? He says, yeah, I'm a Christian. How did you know? it?" says, well, by the way you live, just the way you carry yourself. And he says, but I have a question for you. All these other Americans call themselves Christians, but they don't live like it. They drink and they do this and they run around and they party and they, they have this and that. What makes you so different? And he says, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, so I'll paraphrase. He says, well, you know, he says, across the ocean, across the ocean, there's another country. It's called America. And across in America, there's a state, and I'll pick a state, the state of Kansas. And in Kansas, there's this particular city, and in that city, there's a particular neighborhood. And in that neighborhood, there's a particular girl. He says, I've promised myself to that girl somewhere else. Over the sea, over in another country, over in another city, in another land, I've promised myself to her. And because of that promise over there, I live in such a way here. I'm just waiting for the day. When I'll cross back across the way, I'll get my education. 
but I'll go across the way. We'll be married. We'll have a life. Let's live that way tonight. Across the ocean, across the way, there's Jesus waiting for us. Oh, eye has not seen, but he's waiting for us. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's above anything we've ever seen. Let's give ourselves to him tonight. I give myself away.